Morning, friends. Thank you to our sound men who diligently work to get our sound operating. Am, am I operating? Can you hear me? Okay. All right. How many people came back there to tell you there was a problem? Four. It's like hitting that elevator button when the light's already on, isn't it? I'm sure every person helped you feel the need anymore. Well, thank you guys for doing that. appreciate it. Uh, let me invite you to open your Bible to the book of Jude. This is our third sermon in this new series. Um, grab the one under the chair in front of you if you came without one, or use your phone to find where we are. There's an outline on the back of your uh, bulletin. encourage you to use that as well. Uh, this morning we'll be in verses 5 through 7 of this book that is only one chapter long. Uh, Jude is uh, not studied very frequently or read very frequently. It's sometimes called Jude the Obscure. Uh, Jude was the brother of the Apostle James. Both Jude and James were brothers of Jesus. Uh, James was also a leader in the uh, New Testament church, and also wrote the book of James. So uh, this is his brother's book, Jude, that we've been studying for the last three Sundays. Let me begin by reading our passage today. I'd like to begin with two verses just above that so you can see this paragraph in context of the uh, larger setting we've been in. Again, the main theme is contending for the faith, and we'll see that in verse 3. But let me begin reading in verse 3, and we'll read through verse 7. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. These are God's very words. They're authoritative. This is his authoritative word. Uh, and may he bless what we've read and help us understand what is here. Some difficult uh, uh, portions this morning. And let me pray and ask for his help as we begin. Father, we are grateful that you are a sovereign God. We are grateful that you are sovereign over even things like sound systems. And we pray that you would uh, help ours to work properly today. Father, more than that, quicken our hearts, give us understanding into your word as we look into these 
difficult verses. Uh, strengthen us with your grace this morning. Uh, Jesus, I pray that you'd free us from distractions and help us to focus. Quicken me, Lord, my mind and my throat as I preach today. And give us hearing ears into what your word says. Savior, we commit ourselves to you and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Is there any way you can give me a little more? Check one, two. I can use a different microphone there. I can hear myself a little better. Thank you, sir. My brother-in-law would never wear a seatbelt in the car, says Pastor Tim Keller. I scolded him for it. Then one day he picked me up at the airport and had on his seatbelt and shoulder harness. I asked, what happened? What changed you? I went to visit a friend of mine in the hospital who was in a car accident and went through the windshield, my brother-in-law said. He had two or three hundred stitches in his face. I said to myself, I'd better wear my seatbelt. Keller replied, did you not know that if you didn't wear your seatbelt, you would go through the windshield if you had an accident? Of course I knew it, he said. When I went to the hospital to see my friend, I got no new information, but the information I had became new. The information got real to my heart and finally sank down and affected the way I live. And so it is with these verses before us today. Jude isn't giving us new information about how dangerous false teaching is. God's word has been sounding the warning about false teachers and false teaching as far back as the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Jesus himself sounded the same alarm in the Gospels. He said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, <coughs> but inwardly are ravenous wolves. This is not new information that we're receiving in the book of Jude today. But Jude does give us three examples from the Old Testament to make the warning real. To, um, uh, uh, to, to make the warning sink down inside and affect us. The three examples Jude gives are like three people in hospital beds before us. Uh, people who, like Keller's brother-in-law, his friend, people who've repeatedly ignored the warnings. It's as though Jude holds up these three examples. <coughs> beg your pardon. And says, look what happens to those who ignore the warning about false teaching. So Jude lays these examples, and in these examples, he presents to us three dangers of false teaching. There are three inherent dangers of false teaching that Jude describes for us in verses 5 through 7. The first is the danger of apostasy. Jude warns believers about the danger of falling away from the faith. And he does this through the example of Israel in the wilderness. And there are three things I want to point, about, point out about this first danger. First we see a reminder. Notice verse 5 with me. Jude reminds believers of what they already know. It says, 
Uh, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, <coughs> there are might be a variation between the way my version says it and your version says it. Boils down to a verb tense, but essentially the point is, is clear. These believers have forgotten something they once knew. At one point, they had already been taught about Israel and their apostasy in the wilderness. <coughs> I beg your pardon, it's allergy season. I already have a cough drop in my mouth, so I, I would add another one, but it wouldn't do anything. <clears throat> They'd already been told about Israel and been warned about people who walk away from the faith, but apparently they had allowed this manner to, to slip. And so here Jude reminds believers of what happens to people like this, people who apostatize, people who walk away from their faith. And this serves as a warning to you and me as well um, that there is no resting on our laurels in the Christian life. What do I mean? <coughs> there's, no <coughs> there's no coasting in the Christian faith. There is no easing your foot off the... There's a constant need for keeping our skills sharp, for sharpening the sword of the Spirit, for polishing the armor of God, for remaining vigilant and alert for the enemy. And this is why we see uh, the apostles and prophets remind us so many times throughout the New Testament. Uh, for example, Paul writes in Philippians, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it is safe for you. And then Paul reminds the Romans like this. He says to them, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. And then even to the Corinthians. <coughs> this is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Peter does the same thing, and you're probably familiar with this reminder that he gives. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. And so one writer explains it like this, reminders were needed, to, needed so that believers experience afresh the power of the gospel. Jude reminded them because they were prone to forget the truth they had already embraced. And so are you and I. There's an older couple that had trouble remembering things, uh, common day-to-day -day things, and so they both decided they would write down requests that the other had and, and try to avoid forgetting. And one evening, the wife asked the husband if, if he would like anything, and he replied, yes, I'd like a large ice cream sundae with chocolate ice cream, whipped cream, and a cherry on top. The wife started off for the kitchen and the husband shouted after her, aren't you going to write it down? Don't be silly, she replied. I'm going to fix it right now. I won't forget. She was gone for some time. 
And when she finally returned, she set down in front of him a large plate of hash browns, eggs, bacon, and a glass of orange juice. He took one look at this and said, you forgot the toast. <laughs> we joke about stuff like this all the time between husband and wives and even family members. When it comes to spiritual things, forgetfulness is no laughing matter. And so James, uh, rather Jude, begins with this reminder uh, talking about the danger of apostasy. The second thing Jude goes on to mention here is a rescue. Notice verse 5 as it continues. He reminds them about Israel's rescue from Egypt. Uh, he says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt. And Jude tells us that it was Jesus Christ, God the Son, that delivered Israel from Egypt. It was Christ himself that accomplished Israel's redemption. And this should not surprise us, uh, for Paul tells us that Christ later accompanied them throughout the wilderness. We read this morning, uh, this verse from 1 Corinthians 10.4, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. But even before the wilderness wanderings, the book of Genesis explains that it was the pre-incarnate Christ that was responsible for destroying the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that the angel of the Lord indicating the pre-incarnate Christ was one of the visitors that came and appeared to Abraham in, in Genesis 18. And since Christ was involved with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and was present throughout the wilderness wanderings, it should come as no surprise for us to read that it was Christ, it was Jesus who delivered Israel from slavery. And so the ESV Study Bible says, this is a prime example of the apostolic understanding of the Old Testament, according to which the Son of God in His eternal divine nature was active in the world from the beginning of creation, long before his incarnation. Jude reminds us, secondly, uh, of, of a rescue, that Christ rescued Israel from Egypt. And then he goes on quickly to describe the reckoning, the accounting, uh, the judgment that uh, the Israelites experienced in the wilderness. Again, verse 5, and we'll carry it to the end, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Jude is referring to an event that took place in Numbers 14. I'm going to draw on your uh, knowledge of the Old Testament this morning. You recall that 12 Israelites were sent to spy out the promised land. Uh, they were sent to uh, find the strength of the enemy. They were sent to uh, uh, sample the produce, find out what the land was like in general. And the 12 returned, and, and you remember Joshua and Caleb reported that that the nation should go up right now, at once, 
the Lord is with us and we are well able to overcome it, Caleb's words. And you remember the other ten spies brought a bad report. The people are too strong for us. We were like grasshoppers and the cities are fortified with high walls built up to the sky. The land of Canaan will devour us. You, you recall what happened. Israel became discouraged came close to stoning Moses and Caleb and Joshua and decided to return to Egypt. Let me read you the how it closes the Lord's words beginning in, in Numbers 14.26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, How long shall this wicked congregation Grumble against me. I've heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and of all your number listed in the census, from 20 years old and upward, Corinthians said, most of them who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you've rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity forty years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive. That's what they forgot. The Israelites didn't merely die in the wilderness because of unbelief. If he could think of anything worse, it is. They perished eternally because of their unbelief. In, in verse 5, uh, Jude uses the word destroyed. Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. It's the word apolony uh, and means to devote or give over to eternal misery in hell. The book of Hebrews affirms this uh, same idea. For It says, for, for, for good news came to us just as to them, the Israelites, that is. But the message they heard did not benefit them 
because they were not united by faith with those who listened. You and I would have looked at them and called them orthodox. They, they after all, are people who smeared the blood on their doorposts at the, at the Passover. They applied the blood of the lamb to their homes and, and escaped the, the plague of when the, when the angel of death came and took the firstborn sons. They were led by Moses through the Red Sea just like everyone else. But in Numbers 14, they rebel, they turn away, they apostatize, they despise his word and demonstrates through all history that they were not genuine followers of God. Again, listen to Hebrews. Interpret this event for us. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Listen. Take note of this great danger to you. The danger of apostasy, of falling away from the faith through false teaching. It is a real danger and could happen to any one of us. You look orthodox now. We go to the same church service. We say the same things. But if we subscribe to false teaching, eventually turning away from Christ, we will encounter the same end. That's the warning for that Jude is giving. Up in verse 1, we studied at length and saw the genuine believers are kept by Jesus Christ. And I emphasized how he keeps us. But you and I also must continue and persevere in the faith. We must carry on. Listen to Colossians 1 and, and listen to Paul say this very thing. He says to the Colossian church, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Again, the book of Hebrews says uh, the same thing. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Friends, we must 
Continue in the faith. And persevere. Pastor Rob, what happens to those who abandon the faith? Through neglect or rebellion or false teaching like the Israelites did. The Word of God tells us and explains to us that they were never genuine believers to begin with. I find that hard to believe, Pastor Rob. First John explains it to us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Oh, it, it's certainly true. And I affirm this with all my heart, and I'm not changing anything that I've said in the past, that Christ keeps those that are truly His. And one of the ways He keeps them is through warnings like this. Remember what happened to Israel in the wilderness, they walked away from the faith. Judas telling the church, remember what happened to them. And the same thing happens to false teachers and those who follow them. This is the danger of false teaching, the danger of apostasy, of walking away. And those who walk away perish just like Israel did. Whew. I know that's heavy, but it's the Word of God and not me. There's this great danger in false teaching. The danger of apostasy. There's a second danger he goes on to describe and that's the danger of autonomy. Uh, the danger of autonomy, he goes on, he, he warns believers about the danger of rejecting God's authority, and he does this through the example of fallen angels. And as we see this hospital bed, and, and uh, the example of those who did not heed this warning, again, there are three things I want you to take note of the first thing is their rebellion. That is the rebellion of these fallen angels. Uh, Satan and his angels rebel against the sovereign rule and authority of God. Look with me in verse 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. Uh, to begin with, now I have to string some Old Testament texts together and jot them down if you're not familiar with these. I've, I found John MacArthur very helpful here. To begin with, the rebellion began when Satan attempted to put himself in the place of God. And this is described for us in Isaiah chapter 14. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. 
This describes Satan or Lucifer's pride in wanting to ascend the heights of uh, God and who was cast out. The Bible goes on to tell us even further than not only was Satan uh, uh, cast out, there, uh, there were angels who joined his rebellion, a third of the angels. And we see this described in Revelation chapter 12. It says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, Satan, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So not only do we have Satan in rebellion, we have a third of the angels uh, uh, joining this rebellion. They are all cast out of the presence of the Lord. However, some of these angels went even further in their rebellion, crossing the boundary God had set for them, uh, and they uh, engaged in sexual relations with women. And this is what Jude means here by this phrase, they left their proper dwelling. This extraordinary and heinous sin is described in Genesis 6. Genesis 6 is a, is a somewhat tricky passage, but here's what it says. When, when man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, and now that's not godly men he's talking about, it's sons of God is a phrase used elsewhere to describe angels. And so that's what I believe this is referring to here. The sons of God, that is, fallen angels, saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is, he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Wow, what a strange, admittedly strange passage. It boils down to this is that several of Satan's fallen angels, who are now demons, went further in their rebellion against God, took possession of human men, and had relations with human women, producing a race of giants. Listen to the ESV Study Bible. It is clear that the kind of relationship described here involves some form of grievous sexual perversion wherein the sons of God saw and with impunity took any women that they wanted. This is their rebellion, their attempt to uh, establish their autonomy, their attempt to establish their independence from the authority of God. They not only joined Satan's rebellion and were cast down to the earth, they went further uh, 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 
ignoring and rebelling against God-ordained boundary for them and intermarried with human women. Now, if you're still with me, good job. Jude goes on to describe their imprisonment. And we see this as verse 6 goes on. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Goodness, we don't, we don't read things like this very often in the New Testament, do we? Because of the especially wicked nature of their sin, these fallen angels or demons have been imprisoned by Christ until the day of the Lord. This tells us that these fallen angels, especially this group who went so far as to intermarry and have relations with human women, he has imprisoned and are kept imprisoned by Christ until the final day. This is not referring to all fallen angels. The Word of God says uh, that we do not wrestle with flesh and blood against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Some fallen angels apparently are, are uh, engaging in spiritual warfare against us. This doesn't refer to Satan. Satan uh, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour at this time. But it is just this one group of fallen angels uh, that he has imprisoned. Their sin so heinous that he would not allow it to be committed again and took precautions by imprisoning them. Second Peter the book of 2 Peter also describes this very same event. Peter writes this, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Here's John MacArthur's take on, on this event. Jude referred to an extraordinarily heinous infraction by some of the fallen angels. That sin recorded in the Old Testament in Genesis 6 was so severe that God placed the offending demons in chains to prevent them from committing such perversity ever again. We see that not only they rebel, but secondly, Jude tells us that they are imprisoned in their attempt to establish their autonomy and independence from the authority of our sovereign God, they have been imprisoned. Thirdly, we see their final sentence. Uh, Jude describes their final sentence to us, the judgment of, of God on the last day. Again, this very last phrase of verse 6 reveals, He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. The scripture tells us that God's final judgment on Satan and his fallen angels, including these particular angels, will be to cast them into the lake of fire at the very end of history. And the Gospel of Matthew tells us this, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 
there is a great danger in false teaching that tells you you don't have to follow Christ's commands or submit to his authority. Now that might be a no-brainer to you. And if it is, I'm especially glad to hear it. Who would ever go against Christ's commands and the authority of Christ? But there is false teaching that tells and, and affirms that you don't have to follow Christ's commands or submit to his authority. You can sin with impunity. You can sin without fear because you've already been counted righteous in Christ and therefore anything goes. There is an inherent danger in false teaching, this inherent danger of autonomy, this danger of independence. And this is the very thing these teachers were promoting. Jude said this back in verse 4. Uh, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And through this example of fallen angels, it's as though there's a hospital bed laying there and, and Jude is pointing out the patient. Look what happens to those who ignore this danger who try to establish their own autonomy and independence from the authority of God, they will face his judgment on the great day of his wrath. Jude is driving this home to believers. Uh, stay away from false teaching. Stay away from false teaching. He's trying to make it real to us. Uh, there's the danger of apostasy, of falling away. Look at Israel. Look at what happened to Israel in the wilderness. And, and watch out for this danger of autonomy, of trying to be your own man. Look at what happened to the fallen angels. God did not spare angels when they rebelled. He's warning us to remain under the Word of God. Remain under the authority of God. To submit to His, His authority over our lives. And friend, the, the Word is quite clear on this point. Those who know Christ, those who know Christ, keep His commands. Now, I, I hope that's a slap in the forehead. Well, duh. Those who know Christ actually obey Him. The word is, is clear. It says in uh, John 14, 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest or show myself to him. And, and then 1 John chapter 2 says this, And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. So false teaching that comes along and says, you're not required to keep the commandments of Christ is 
inherently wrong, and there is the danger of autonomy. I, I said something really wild at our members seminar a couple weeks back, back here in this room, and I, I, I told the people who were there that day, this is going to blow your mind. But the elders actually expect our members to attend church here. Where do you get off saying anything like that? <laughs> Crazy idea, I realize. And in the same way, Jude says, no, 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 no. The people who follow Christ are those who actually keep His commandments and obey Him and remain under His authority. There is, secondly, the danger of autonomy. And we see this danger played out in the fallen angels who rebelled against God's authority and His ordained purpose and design for them intermarried with women of earth and have been imprisoned and will await their final judgment on the day of the Lord. There's danger of apostasy. There is danger of autonomy and false teaching there's a third danger that Jude presents, and that's the danger of immorality. Uh, Jude warns believers about the danger of sexual sin. And he does this through the, the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. This was particularly part of the false teaching of, of these people here. Uh, they promoted sexual immorality, sexual freedom, but the patient on the bed this time is Sodom and Gomorrah in the cities of the plain. And Jude warns, look what happened to them. And he's going to say three things again here about this danger. First of all, we need to see the location of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 7 tells us, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, Jude isn't specific, he doesn't say where it's located, but from the book of Genesis, uh, we know that they were located in the Jordan River Valley just below the Dead Sea. Uh, probably in this area, maybe heading a little further south, but somewhere uh, along here uh, was where Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain uh, were it was a, an incredibly lush uh, area. In fact, in Genesis 13, when Abram uh, and Lot separated, uh, it was Lot who chose this area to settle in. Listen to what it says about this region from Genesis 13. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of God like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord." This lush region is the area that Jude is referring to when he says Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. But Jude goes on and next he, he describes their sin 
uh, to us as verse 7 continues, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. Literally, the phrase is pursued uh, different flesh. The word likewise here in this uh, middle phrase refers back to the fallen angels of verse 6. In, in the way that the fallen angels pursued and engaged in sexual immorality with the women of earth, so the people of Sodom and Gomorrah indulged in sexual sin. And, and the word Jude uses, indulged, uh, indicates that they were extremely immoral, that God gave them, they gave themselves uh, up to sexual immorality. The New American Standard says these indulged in gross immorality. In other words, they engaged in it to an excessive degree. They were especially and extremely committed to sexual sin. And finally, he says they pursued unnatural desire or different flesh. Their sexual desire deviated from the ordained design of God for human sexuality described in his word. Abandoning God's command, the men of these cities pursued relationships, sexual relationships with other men. This is described in Genesis 19 as uh, the angel of the Lord, Christ, sends two angels to rescue Lot and destroy the city uh, Lot invites these angels into his home. You probably remember this account from Genesis 19, and it says this, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And if you're not familiar with the word know and how it's used in the Old Testament, it is a euphemism for, for sexual relations. It's because of this excessive immorality and unnatural sexual desire that the Lord said of these cities, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. And so we see their sin. Uh, secondly, these cities were excessively immoral and pursued sexual relationships that were contrary to God's ordained design for men and women. And lastly, we see their judgment as well. Because of this excessive sin, the Lord destroys the cities of the plain. And look at the ending of verse 7 now. Likewise, indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. Serve, the cities that is, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Listen to Genesis 19 describe their judgment. It says, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew these cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities. And what grew on the ground? Behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. Note especially that these cities serve as an example for the sexually immoral person. They foreshadow the type of punishment that sexually immoral people will endure for all eternity. 
those who make a practice of sexual sin of any kind, not just homosexuality, but adultery and, and uh, sex outside of marriage in any degree. It says they will not see heaven, but be cast into the lake of fire. Again, bear with me in this warning, friend. This is simply what the Word of God says, and it, it's abundantly clear in the matter. In 1 Corinthians 6, beginning with this one, the Word says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor reviles, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That is, people whose lives are committed to this, who practice it, who have established patterns of living this way. Paul goes on to say, and such were some of you. And then in Ephesians 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, of God. This is why God's word says, uh, flee. It warns us again and again, run away. First uh, uh, Corinthians 6, again, flee from sexual immorality. <coughs> Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And, and again, Ephesians 5, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetous must not be even named among you. There must not be a hint. And, and friends, you know, as I do, there is more than a hint of sexual immorality in Christ's church in this era. There's no hint. It's common. The third danger of false teaching is the danger of immorality. These men who teach license and freedom and throw off God's restraint in this particular area. And the word says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So admittedly, this is not new information about false teaching, is it? Like the brother of Tim, uh, brother-in-law of Tim Keller, who had heard the warning to wear a seatbelt. We've we've heard about false teachers plenty, and been warned away from false teaching. But what Jude puts before us is is like this brother-in-law. He puts three hospital beds in front of us with examples of of those who ignore the warnings. Why why does the word? Warn us about false teaching. Why must we contend for the faith? It's because of the three dangers we've seen. There's the danger of apostasy, the danger of, of falling away from the faith. There's the danger of autonomy, of independence, and rejecting the authority of Christ and His Word. And lastly, the danger of immorality that pursues sexual sin to their own destruction. And we've seen the outcome 
is the same in each case. It is separation from Christ for all eternity uh, in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, so, Pastor Rob, how do I apply this passage to my life? To begin with, friend, it's to turn from your sin to trust in Christ and His atoning death on the cross. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, today is the day. And Christ, uh, although He warns us of this, uh, holds out His hand to you and says, if you will but turn away from these things and trust in my payment for sin on the cross, you can be cleansed from your sin and clothed with my righteousness. If you're here this morning and you have never done that, I plead for you to uh, come talk to me following the service or right where you're seated right now. Surrender your life to Jesus. Turn your back on any of this that you're involved in and, and plead His grace to save you. What if I've already done that, Pastor Rob? Then what I guess I want you to hear is contending for the faith and false teaching, it is serious as a heart attack. It is drop-dead serious thing. And so if you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, I, I, I plead, learn the content of your faith. Learn what your faith consists of. Learn what the Bible teaches. Learn those basics that Christians must hold in common to be called Christians. Like Jesus Christ is God. That He was born of a virgin. If He wasn't born of a virgin, He's not God. These crucial things, these sine qua non, these things that we must agree on, learn what those are. Take care Friend, learn the faith. Learn the content of your faith. And the third application is take care to keep yourself in the faith. Keep the sword of the Spirit sharp. Keep yourself in the Word of God on a daily basis, even several times a day if you can. Keep yourself in the assembly of the saints on the Lord's Day so you can be challenged by sermons like this. Thank you, I've had enough. And, and encouraged to stay close to Christ and to keep following Him. That's why we gather, is so we can prod each other on. Keep yourself in the assembly on the Lord's day. So the third application, take care and keep yourself in the faith and follow on as Christ's word calls us to. Let me pray for us. We can only do this by your grace, Christ Jesus, by your Holy Spirit's working on us to draw us to saving faith or to well up grace to pursue you and persevere. Do this work in us, Jesus. Help us to see the, the immediacy, the, the danger of false teaching as Jude proclaims it here. Christ Jesus, help us to follow on. 
to contend for the faith, uh, the truth that your word proclaims. Savior, we pray this in your precious name. Amen.